0: Thank you for checking out this resource from Grace Chapel in Skinny Atlas, New York. If you'd like to find more like this, or you'd like to learn a little bit more about our church, you can do so by going to gconline.org. And now, let's jump into this week's message. We're in the book of Acts, and as we've been going through the book of Acts, we, we are reminded that Acts is about the birth of the church. It's about the spread of the gospel, and we began... Uh, seeing Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey, and that happened last week in Acts chapter 14, and it was it was great. And we saw that there was risk in sharing the gospel. The risk was sometimes rejection, sometimes it's persecution. But there are risk if you're gonna wear your faith out there. There's risk in doing that. It's always a risk worth taking but there's risk in doing that. This week, we're going to go into chapter 16, and there's all of this debate and this tension that arises over the purity of the gospel. What's it mean to truly be saved? What is involved with it? And there was all this tension in the church, and then they have this, and you'll see it says, sharp dissension or debate with each other. And so we're going to unpack that for a few minutes here today, and I want to take you to Acts chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll look at a few points here. It says, but some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But listen, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order for them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. Three things that I want to point out today as we look at this passage, and there's this great debate that's stirring, and there's this tension rising regarding what's it mean to be a Christian? What's it mean to be saved? That's still a question that we have today. People all over ask that question well, what's it mean to be right with God? What's it mean to have a relationship with God? What's it mean to be a Christian? What's it mean to be saved? And I'm here to tell you it's the same thing today as it was back then, the same thing, and that's Jesus and him alone. But I wanna take you to this point that is brought up to help us understand some of the why the tension existed. And the first thing that I wanna bring out is this, that spiritual transformation takes place in the heart. They were looking on all these externals, they need to keep the law, they need to be circumcised, all these external factors, and he says this, no, God sees their heart. Salvation is not something that happens because of our performance. Salvation happens in the heart because of our belief. You can try to do all the good things in the world and it will not save you. But faith and trust in Jesus Christ is the only thing that can save you. But how does that happen? It's when our heart is transformed, it's changed. I was thinking uh, about the child dedication today and it reminded me of this. Ted Tripp writes a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And if you're a young parent, uh, man, get it. It's awesome. Because it changes your uh, trajectory from just, you know, uh, obedience and conforming to really shepherding their heart. Because if, if you want, you can, get, um, you can get compliance. I like compliance. Do you like compliance? I mean, as a parent, when I said to do something, I, I really love it when they follow through and they do that. But what you find in life is this, that you can get obedience and you can get compliance, but if you don't have their heart, you've missed what's most important. Why? Because they can do that old adage, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. It's that idea that true transformation has never been about the externals, the externals are a result. They are not a prerequisite. But rather we understand that true spiritual transformation at the point of conversion and onward through our life, it's a focus on our heart. And that's what this passage says, that God purified what? Not their hands, not their actions, their hearts. We look at three different things throughout Scripture, and we read one of them today in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, and strength. We see that in also Matthew 22. It's the great commandment. Then you have the great confession where David sings, sins against God, and, you know, he says, God, what do you want me to do? He goes, I'll I'll teach transgressors, I'll go out and I'll, I'll, I'll do all these things for you. And in verse 17, it declares this, what God wants is a pure and a contrite heart, that he won't despise. David's not about trying to make up for your sin. It's about the God who created you completely cleansing your heart from your sin. And then we have our great salvation that we see in Romans chapter 10, declared that it's not just belief in your head, it's not just obedience with your hands. He says this, that if you believe, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. And I think sometimes we miss the powerful work of Jesus because listen, The law, we could never keep. It's too big. The reality is we're sinful people. We can never fully achieve it. There was one who did, and that was Jesus himself, the perfect son of God who fulfilled the law, therefore providing us a means of salvation because that allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of heaven. There's one thing that I want you to hear is you become a Christian by the transformation of your heart, but you also grow as a Christian by the transformation of your heart. This is big, and I want you to hear this. We often come to Jesus in faith and belief, and we accept him as our Savior, and then what happens is life becomes about what other people see. The externals then become some, somewhat of a priority, and we lose this understanding of what's happening deep within our soul and our heart. When you walk through the doors today, you know what people saw? This. You know what God saw? This. There's two people that know your heart, him and you. And we have to be careful because in Matthew 23, Jesus looks at the Pharisees who were law-abiders. They kept the law as close as they could. You know what he he declared to them? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. You are like whitewashed sepulchers. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you are full of uncleanness and in dead man's bones. He reminds them. Don't put on a facade. Don't focus on the externals. If you do the hard work of focusing on your heart, the posture of your heart, the purity of your heart, all the externals take care of themselves. It's a result. Yet sometimes what we do is we go through life and we worry about all of the external, the exteriors, and we lose sight of what really matters. In our heart. So we see that spiritual transformation takes place in the heart. Spiritual transformation is also a work of the Spirit. He says, The Spirit was given to the Gentiles as much as the Jews. And we have to understand this, and I want you to hear this, and I'm going to go quick. The greatest demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God is not the external demonstrations that we see but the internal transformation which we encounter. And I'm telling you, in a world of Christianity, in a world of religion, in a world of this, people are looking for all these external expressions of the Spirit of God, and the greatest power and the greatest work of the Spirit of God is not external, it's internal where he regenerates your heart, where he illuminates your heart to sin and then takes that sin and brings it before Jesus and completely renews you. That's the transformation that we seek, and that's the work of the Spirit. The last thing is this. In that last verse, he says, let me just read it for you because I want you to see it. The last verse, he says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Spiritual transformation takes place in your heart. Spiritual transformation, transformation is a work of the Spirit, but spiritual transformation is an act of grace. Grace. You know what grace is? Literally, it means unmerited favor. It means you didn't earn it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It was a gift given to you. And so that's what salvation is. That's what true um, transformation is. It's an act of grace. Jesus accomplished everything necessary for salvation. The only thing that we bring is our sin and ourself. Two things. One is that oftentimes when people find themselves in you know, the depth of sin, they say, well, I don't know how God could ever forgive me. And I'm here to remind you that it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to meet you where you are and to cleanse you completely. He doesn't go, well, you know, took care of 90%, but that 10% is pretty bad. I don't know how we're going to deal with that. So good luck. Good luck. No, he says this, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all, all, all unrighteousness. So just know this, true transformation is an act of grace where we come before God who then provides for us a gift of forgiveness that we could never earn. The opposite of that coin is this. Sometimes we come before God with our morality and we think that, you know, in in some respects, I'm a pretty good person. And we think that what we have is I have faith plus my good deeds, plus my morality, plus all of these other things. And we have to remember this, that your morality never gets you anything beneficial or added to your salvation. It doesn't get you a little bit further. It doesn't help you out. Oh, it's a good thing, but it never achieves your salvation. I would look at it like this. If you have three people, you told them what I want you to do is jump across the Grand Canyon. But the first one, they had to stand at the edge and they had to just jump. They didn't have much of an advantage. It's not gonna work out too good. But the other two, one of them is back 50 yards and he gets a running start. The other one's back 100 yards and he gets a gray start. Which one of them crosses the Grand Canyon? Well, it doesn't matter what your start was. The reality is the gulf is too big. It could never be crossed in and of your own effort. And that's what scripture tries to tell. Your morality might be the 100 yards and you're trying to bring it to Jesus and say, this is what I bring you. And he says, it's not about what you bring me, it's what I bring you that the only way across this Gulf of the Grand Canyon is the cross that is laid down that you walk across. And God says, come, receive this, this is grace. This is my gift to you. You couldn't earn it, you don't deserve it. It's my gift, but you can receive it. Jew, Gentile, sinner, moral person, everybody comes to the same place. And has the ability for the cross to be fully effective and cross a gulf that no man could ever cross alone. So, the takeaway for you, my friend, today would be this What's going on inside your heart today? If you're an unbeliever, have you trusted in Jesus and Him alone? as your savior, or are you at the 50 yard line thinking maybe I offer something to Jesus, I bring something to him. Listen, just bring your sin in yourself and trust in his gift. It's enough, it's enough. Maybe you're standing here going, I'm so great a sinner. God could never forgive me. The cross is sufficient for you too. It's enough, just come to Jesus. He'll cleanse you from all your sin. And listen, if you're a believer here today, sometimes we work really hard, we come to Jesus completely, we trust him completely, and then we walk through life beginning to perform and serve and do all the externals without looking at what God wants to continue to cultivate in our heart. And do the good work today look inside and say, God, what do you see in my heart? Is there uncleanness? Because listen, we're gonna show the world what we want them to see. But there's two people, you and God, that knows what's happening in your heart. Is there uncleanness that needs to be laid before him? Is there stuff that you just, you need to do business with God about? And say, God, help me again to come back to that first point where I'm focused on where true transformation takes place, and that's my heart. So Father, this morning, as we conclude this service, I ask blessing over those who are here, but I ask a work of your spirit, God, that you would stir in us. If there are those here that don't have a relationship with you, God, through the person of Jesus, may they once and for all see that they have no ability to reach you on their own, but that you have done everything for them to have a relationship with you. The only thing required is belief, belief in their heart and they will be saved. But God, for those who are believers who have been walking with you for a while, may you throw that holy spotlight into our hearts so that we can see what's happening inside of us so that transformation doesn't end at the point of salvation, but as we walk with you, that we would continue to experience the full transformation that you want us to know and experience within the context of life. God, help us expose our hearts today, purify our hearts today, cleanse our hearts today, and do your greatest work in our heart today. And we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen.